the snowpocalypse. It's probably over. According to uh, Mark Nelson last night, it's over. He doesn't see any more. Doesn't see any more, at least for down here. No, we probably will have some more snow. But um, the funny thing to me was, you know, the uh, a lot of people talked about and sh- shared pictures with uh, with us on Facebook about the you know the empty shelves at all the stores. How everyone went to the store and up everything, and all the stores were out of stock. Um, for one, I think the big lesson that that, you, that we learn um, is, you know, if you wait until a day. Before a major disaster is supposed to hit, you're probably too late. So better just stay home anyway. Um, the, the other thing is, you know, in all of those pictures, there were there were a few little pockets of things that were left on the shelves. I don't know if you noticed that, but there would just be like there'd be you know completely bare shelves, and then there'd be a row of something like in the dairy section, you know. And so so. Those are probably the things that are going to end up at the food pantry in the near future because nobody wanted to buy them. But, uh, you know, I would think that would be kind of enlightening for, for a store owner to say, oh, even in an apocalypse, when the, when the world is ending, when people think that they're not going to be able to get out of their house for the days, no one will still buy, that. they don't even consider it food good enough to eat in the apocalypse, right? So... Uh, so uh, I'd probably not stock that anymore if I was in that position. But um, this morning, I want to try something just a little bit different. Since we're a little bit smaller today, we can do some, uh, we have a little bit of flexibility like we don't normally have. So I'm going to read through Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. And we're starting, we're heading towards, and uh, two weeks from now, we'll kind of finish up the whole first part of Luke where the emphasis has been primarily on Jesus and his ministry and, and what his life looked like and so on. And, and after we get past the transfiguration, which is going to happen two Sundays from now, we'll cover the transfiguration. Once we get past that, the focus shifts from, from being all about Jesus, and you see it in, uh, in Jesus. Oh, and I'm supposed to announce gather. Thank you for sending me that message, wife. Um, both, the, both of the gathers left to meet, so the, the one gather happened last week, but the, the other two gather meetings are happening on the 21st. Um, what time? 6.30? And where are they? At Kathy's house and Megan's house? So that's where those are happening. So in a couple weeks, not quite two weeks. But the, uh, the focus is, is shifting from being all about Jesus and, and his ministry. There'll still be a lot of emphasis on Jesus, obviously, after the transfiguration. But Jesus' focus shifts, and he turns his face towards Jerusalem. And so he kind of becomes resolute towards Jerusalem as he's heading towards his final destination as the Savior of the world. But then the focus will really kind of start to move on to the disciples and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. So we're starting to make that, that transition now here in the beginning of Luke chapter 9. But as I read, I would like for you, if you will, maybe write, write down on, on a, a piece of paper that you have something that stands out to you in these nine verses. And then I'm going to ask you, uh, after we've read, what stood out to you in these nine verses, this first part of Luke 9. So let me read it for us. And then I'd love to hear from you um, what, 
what it is that stands out. This is picking up after uh, last week, Alex did such a great job telling us about the, the kind of the contrast between the 12-year-old girl and the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And, and remember, he, uh, he gave us that, that great one-liner, that, that great quote, never let life speak louder than the truth. And uh, we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to, to let life kind of come in and, and squelch out. God's truth from time to time, but God's truth is always, always right. There's nothing that can really defeat it if we'll listen to it. And so let's uh, continue to remember that lesson from Alex last week. Thanks, Alex, for sharing. You did good. So we're picking up right there, kind of, and, uh, and moving into this, this focus on the disciples and some really major, major stories that are going to be taking place over the next couple of weeks. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, Others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. What are some things that kind of stand out in that passage as you read through it or hear it for the first, first time this morning? Yeah, it's really cool how, how God, I think, lines a lot of this because I didn't, you know, I didn't read through all of the, all of the plan for the, for the Bible study and then try to plan and, and sync with it. So uh, it's kind of cool how God lines that up and, re- and emphasizes the teaching to us, kind of reteaches it to us. What stands out in this story, Jesus sending out the disciples? Yeah, that's really interesting. He told them not to take anything. Nothing. How many of us, if Jesus sent us out today in a similar kind of mission, would, would, would go out with nothing? And we'll get into that in just a minute. But yeah, that's really interesting. What else stands out from, this, from these nine verses? Right? Yeah, power and authority cast out demons, which we've just seen a pretty significant example of that, right? With the man that had thousands of demons. Right? Yeah, we'll get into that in just a little bit, but uh, he had some issues. He was making some bad choices. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. If, I don't know how to say it. Dunamis. Do. Uh, what does that sound like? What word does that sound like? Dunamis. When you think about power. Dynamite. Yeah, that's where we get our word dynamite from. Um, and it's interesting that. That's also a word that's used somewhere for Paul and his preaching that he preached 
that he preached with power or he taught with power. And so um, I remember one of our lessons at Multnomah when we were going through some of Paul's writing was he was, he was talking about power and, and my professor was, was talking about the power that you, you know, power, the power of the spirit. And it just kind of, just kind of, this is the, you preach with the power. That's what I remember from my Multnomah days. Anything else stand out? Yeah, news was getting everywhere. That's a really significant part of the story. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's um, basically what, what he says when he says to shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. It's the, the equivalent of treating them as a pagan town. So even if, they're, even if it was a Jewish people and they didn't receive the disciples, he said to shake your dust off the feet and treat them as you would Gentiles, which is, is kind of a, a condemnation of them. But yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, you, can, you can't control how people receive you. That's, that's not in our control whatsoever. It's, but go, go, where, go where you're received. Go where people listen. Anything else? Why, why they couldn't bring bread and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's look at that just a little bit. First, um, I do want to I want to mention Jesus gave the disciples authority and he sent them sent them out. So Jesus gave them authority. So he gave them the power and authority and sent them out to drive out demons and cure diseases. And sent them out to proclaim proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So, so the disciples were acting in the authority of Jesus, right? This is this is this is there. This is the authority that has come down from the Father, and Jesus passes it on to the Spirit and or through the Spirit into into the lives of the disciples. And so, this is the power that they're acting on. They're not they're not it's not acting on their own power. This isn't their own ability to do these things. This is something that, that Jesus gives them the authority and the power to do. And he said, don't take anything for the journey. Travel light. Go where you're welcome. And if you're not welcomed in that city, treat it like, like a pagan city. Now, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Um, the, you know, for interesting, you know, one thing we may not understand, a staff for your journey, well, that's just something that, that you would carry as you, as you would walk. kind of helps lighten the load of the journey a little bit. The bag was one thing I didn't understand, and that's essentially so they couldn't beg for money from, from my study, is that if you don't have a bag, you can't set out a bag and beg for money. No bread, no money, no extra shirt. And I think, I think, in essence, the, the point why Jesus sent them out this way, um, there's probably some practical reasons to it, but for one, I think it's just he wanted them to trust him to provide for their journey. And if they go, if they go where they're welcomed, if they follow his guidelines for going, if they go and they welcome them, then the people there will appreciate their ministry, which we see carried out through the rest of the New Testament. They will... They will appreciate the ministry enough that they will help provide for, and they'll be hospitable. And there's probably something to the hospitality uh, that, that Jesus asked them to look for. If you find someone who is really hospitable, uh, then stay there because they're, they're, they're welcome you. They're open to, uh, to more than just having you in their house and, and, 
and doing their duty, their religious duty of being hospitable, but they probably will receive your teaching as well. And um, I don't know, Jim, Russ, anyone else have any thoughts on, on the significance of not taking anything for the journey? Right? Yeah, so Matthew says a worker is worth his wages, so that's an interesting, right? Yeah, so maybe it's, it's a way of making the best use of their time. They go, they see they're really welcome there. And if they're really welcomed, then, then they're going to have a much more effective ministry than if they go and they try to force their way in and then nothing ever actually happens. Did you raise your hand? Yeah, there's, there's kind of two perspectives, right? There's the disciples' perspective as they're going out, and so they're trusting God. And then there's the town's perspective as they welcome and receive. So, you know, are, are the disciples trusting and are the towns receiving? So that's kind of an interesting contrast there, too. Anything else there about traveling that, that stands out to you? Right, giving and receiving and the, uh, and the humility that's necessary as for the, on, the role of, in the, on the role the disciples play, that you could probably come into a town if you have everything you need and you come in and you, know, you come in and be uh, you know, a little bit full of yourself, but if you're relying on the people of the town, it kind of creates a much more bilateral relationship and where you're going to be humble as you're as you're ministering to them that's that's good one of the things that that stands out to me is that they just did it at least as far as Luke and and Matthew recount recount they uh, and Mark the same thing they they go which which is a little bit astounding when at least when I think about it that that the disciples they had been with Jesus, I don't know, for, for how long. It seems like it had probably been a couple years by this point, and especially as we're starting to turn towards Jerusalem and coming uh, towards the end of Jesus' life. Jesus called the 12 together, gave them power and authority to go out, and he gave them the instructions. And verse 6 says, So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good, the good news and, and healing people everywhere. And so, you know, they, they just obeyed. They just went, which I think is a, is a really important lesson for one, after all the focus of Luke chapter 8, which was, was listen and obey, listen and obey, listen and obey. When Jesus told the 12 to go, they set out and did exactly what, what Jesus said to do. And I think that's important for us as disciples, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, is that that when Jesus gives us something to do, to do it, to just to go and obey and to follow and do what Jesus tells us to do, even if it doesn't make sense. You'd have to imagine if you're in the disciples' uh, position that this might not make the most sense. Like if we're going to go on this journey and we're going to go around to you know, places that are far from home and we're going to minister all these people, it seems like it might make some sense, Jesus, good common sense, Jesus, to take an extra shirt at least. I mean, one change of clothes doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But they just, they just obeyed. They went and did what Jesus said to do. And then what Jim pointed out, I want to dig into just a little bit this morning. Verse 7, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Herod 
heard about it, right? This, this should, I, th- I think this should maybe stand out to us a little bit more than it does because Herod heard about it. So Herod, the top, the top ruling official in this area that was ruling over the, you know, the province or the, the different villages and towns in this area, Herod, somehow word got all the way, traveled all the way through the ranks, all the way up to Herod to where he heard about it. And and his first response is that he seems to be insecure and triggered over it, right? At least that's, that's the mood I get from Herod in this passage, because he was perplexed. He was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. The word perplexed means to be entirely at a loss. So, so and he, Herod, was entirely at a loss to what was going on because he was hearing that John had been raised from the dead and he had had John beheaded. So you can imagine Herod, who's apparently insecure, um, is, is thinking, what in the world is happening? So if we don't know, if you don't know this about Herod, Herod has a little bit um, of, a pro- of a moral problem. He, he's he's kind of crossed a pretty big line when it comes to his morals, which was what led to John the Baptist being thrown in prison because John the Baptist called him out on this. And, and what this was was that Herod um, had married his niece, who was also the wife of his half-brother Philip. So, so he married his niece, who at the time that he married her was also the wife of his half-brother Philip. That's kind of a line that I don't think you should really cross, right? I mean, one thing to marry your niece, another thing to marry your niece, who is the wife of your half-brother. And Philip was also a ruler in the area, and some, some of the commentaries I read this week said that, that uh, she, his wife, Herodias, may have just done this to try to climb the ladder so that she could be um, next to, seated at the right hand of the person with a little more power. But uh, John the Baptist called him out on this, and because he was, he was saying that he needed to repent of this, that, that uh, ended up with John the Baptist being thrown into prison, and eventually John the Baptist was beheaded because of this. And so you imagine Herod thinking that he was in the clear because he had dealt with the person who was calling him out on his problems. Now he's got someone else in town that's stirring up stuff that's not about Herod, Right? The only, it doesn't say that Jesus said anything about Herod or that he condemned Herod, or at least at this point that we hear any message that Jesus was sending to Herod. But it's just that, that what Jesus and the disciples were doing was, was noteworthy enough that Herod had heard about it. So why would he be perplexed other than people are making assumptions that it would be John the Baptist? So here's Herod thinking, I, I, I thought I'd taken care of this guy. I, I thought that I had taken care of the problem of, of whoever was threatening my dominion, and now there's this Jesus guy that I'm hearing all this stuff about. But what really kind of stood out to me was that this time it seems a little bit different. Maybe, maybe we don't have all the pieces of the story, and John, or Luke is setting us up for something that's, that's coming here in a few short verses It'll be a few weeks from now about this with Elijah and Herod trying to see him and all that. There's a reason that that's there. But what did Herod do? 
What did Herod do when he heard all that was going on? He tried to see Jesus. Herod heard all that was going on, and his response was to try to see Jesus. Some translations will say he longed, he desired, he, he deeply desired to see Jesus, to go see the one about all these things we're being saying about people being raised from the dead. Do you imagine he has to hear all these stories, people being raised from the dead, demons cast out, people being healed by the thousands, and some more miraculous things that are about to happen. He longed to see Jesus. He, he wanted to see Jesus. He desired to go out and see him. But he never did. As far as we know, he never, he never got out to see Jesus. Yeah, he sees him at the end when it's kind of too late. <laughs> But he never really witnessed the ministry firsthand. But still, I don't, I don't think that's really what's so perplexing to me about this story. Uh, as, as I was reading it and studying it, there's something else that really stands out to me. And it's, it's that, that this word about Jesus and his disciples had spread to the point uh, that, 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 this, that the word of God had spread to the point where the leader of the local government was hearing about it. That's a, that's, that should kind of catch our attention. We, it's just, we read it just as facts of the story, but when you really stop and think about it, it it's a little bit astounding. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with our, our Clark County leadership. Anyone know who the council chair is of Clark County? Hannah should know this one. She's giving me a look. Um, so I guess it was a couple years ago when she first ran for office, um, Eileen Queering, I think is how you say her name. Um, she, she, you know, all of her campaign posters had her picture on them, a great big picture of her and then her name on the, on the side of it. Well, they put one out on the road where we drive quite a bit, this great big, probably a three by five foot, you know, picture of her. And so we kind of joke with Hannah that that was her friend, that was her that was her good friend. And then we saw her in a parade once, and we were trying to get Hannah to go over and say hi because they were good friends. And she actually goes to Grandma's church, right? Goes to Brush Prairie. So Grandma, Grandma knows her and maybe might be able to make an introduction someday. So, um, but so, so that was, that's, that's our council chair, Eileen Queering, or Quiring, I'm not quite sure how to say it, is our council chair. And there are some other people on the council. Temple Lentz, I think, is District 2. Julie Olson, I think, is District 3. Or, no, Temple Lentz, I think, is District 1. Julie Olson, I think, is District 2. John Blum is District 3. And this position was empty until just a week or so ago. But District 4, which is where we live, now has... A, a chairperson or a council member for it, and that's Gary Medvigi, which is just a really fun name to say, Medvigi, M-E-D-V-I-G-Y. It's like, that's a really cool name. That'd be a really cool name to have on, like, if you were playing football and they were announcing it, Medvigi gets the score. First down, Medvigi. 
But uh, so, so these are our Clark County Council members. Now, we're probably quite a bit bigger in Clark County than, than there was population uh, around Herod and the people that he was ruling over. But can you imagine maybe what it would look like here? Because, you know, how many of you have ever met any of our council people? Have you met one? Who did you meet? Vicki Kraft, okay. Anyone else ever met anyone, talked to anyone, know any of them? How many of us have ever been to a council meeting downtown when they're having their, their meetings? Okay, so there's a couple. We've at least been there. I've been there for, for a couple of them, prayed the opening prayer for a couple of the meetings. But we don't really know them, and, and yet here they are. They're kind of ruling and making a lot of decisions that affect our day-to-day lives, and we don't know, know them at all. Maybe we should try to get to know them a little bit more, pray for them. That was in workplace a couple, uh, I guess a week or so ago, we prayed for our community leaders, and these were some of the names that we prayed for specifically. But can you imagine, like, like if, if this was what happened today, and, and God was, you know, God was calling us his disciples and sending us as his disciples here at 6-8 Church out to do this, it's like, you know, can you imagine the council meeting? What it, what it might look like? And and the next order of business is six eight church. Uh, does anyone know about this sixty eight church? Because I don't know if you figured that out, but that's what people they'll say sixty eight if they just see the number six eight. Even though there's a colon in the middle of it, they'll say sixty eight church. But it's six eight church. Anyone know anything about this sixty eight church? Anyone? And Temple Lynn says, uh, well, we know they're in Hazeldell and they have a busted street sign. Julie Olson might say, uh, I hear they do a food pantry every Tuesday. John says, oh yeah, I've been hearing a lot of people talking about them from my district too. Apparently, they're a really humble group of people. And Gary Medvigi says, isn't my last name awesome? Because he's new there. He hasn't had a chance yet to hear about 6-8 Church. But, uh, but, but wouldn't it be cool, wouldn't it be amazing if... if we were sent out as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and, and, and what God had sent us out as his followers, as his disciples, and, and he sent us out to do these things, to, to be like him, to be his representation, which is what we're called to do, to be delegates empowered by the Spirit to go out and represent Jesus Christ in every situation, in every area. Wouldn't it be amazing if, if, we actually, if we were actually instruments that led to transformation in our community to a point that Eileen and Temple and Julie and John and Gary and all these guys had started hearing about things that were happening as a result? Well, that's essentially what's happening here with the disciples. The disciples had gone out and they have this ministry where not only Jesus now, which I think is, is worth pointing out, not only was Jesus going out and doing miracles, but Herod probably kind of captivated with the idea of power and authority. And he sees that Jesus, who had been doing things, has the authority and the power to actually transfer this power onto his disciples, and now his disciples can now go out and act with power and authority. I think that's probably what terrified Herod. 
Because Jesus could empower his disciples to go out and act with the same power and authority that he was acting under. And if you think, you know, you think about yourself, put yourself in Herod's position, in Herod's shoes, and, and you're the one that's responsible to rule and keep order, and you're the last person standing, you are the buck stops here guy. You're the one that's supposed to have the power and authority in this region, and you start to hear this, this, this buzz about all the stuff that's going on, and not only about Jesus, this one guy who had done some miraculous things, but now he's transferred his power onto his disciples, and they do some things, and like we're going to learn in chapter 10, Jesus actually transfers his power and authority onto the group of 70 disciples to go out and do the same thing. He, he trans, he's able to empower his disciples to go out and act with authority. If you're the person in charge, you're probably going to get a little bit freaked out. You're going to be perplexed. You're going to be worried. You're probably going to be threatened. That was what really stood out to me as I was studying this section. Jesus' ministry and the ministry he had with his disciples reached a point where it threatened the local government, where the local government was, was worried about what was happening. And I think we have to stop and ask ourselves a question. Do we identify as disciples of Jesus? Would we say this morning that, that I, am, I am a disciple, I am a follower of Jesus, I am one of his disciples. I am, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a disciple, a student, I want to become just like him, which is, which is the whole emphasis of what we're doing here at the church with transformation. We talk about transformation, it's because we are disciples, we are students, he is our mentor, we are apprentices of Jesus. And there's some interesting lessons from apprenticeship that we can learn in this is that Jesus had been walking around and doing, right? And if you know kind of the four stages of being an apprentice that, that you watch me do it, right? You do it while I watch. Now you do it. And, uh, or wait, you watch me do it. There's four stages and I'm missing one of them. I think maybe it's teach. Teach, watch, do, something along those lines. Now you teach somebody else to do it. That's probably the fourth one. But they had been watching Jesus, and now it was their turn to put it into practice. They now were supposed to, they were responsible to live this out, to go out and represent Jesus, to go out and represent the kingdom, to go out and tell people about the good news. Do we identify as disciples of Jesus? And if we are, 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 we, are we living lives on mission, sent out by Jesus in such a way, with such ferocity and commitment, that the world around us, everywhere we are, is in a state of constant transformation? 
Right? I mean, so, so they go into a town, and, and if the town receives them, they go and they preach the gospel, and they're healing people, and they're, and they're casting out demons, and they're preaching the good news and telling people all the things that, that Jesus has offered to them. The towns would be transformed by their presence. And even the towns that reject Jesus would be transformed by rejecting Jesus. And and our vision statement here is this, is that we exist to see people and places transformed by the presence and power of Christ in us, Christ in me. Is that we want to be transformed, but not just have this transformation that ends with our personal transformation, but this transformation needs to actually go out and transform the people and places and, and world and worlds around us. The gospel isn't just for us to get what we want and to save ourselves, but it's actually something that, that is supposed to radically transform people and places around us as we go out and represent Jesus Christ. Do we identify as a disciple of Jesus? And the other question would be, could others identify us as disciples of Jesus? Because we might say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm his disciple. I, I, am, I am trying to follow him and to live my life for him. But but. Does it end there? Is it just our own personal identification that says, I am this thing? Or do we see, do we receive from people around us that are able to say, yeah, those, th- those are disciples. Those people follow Jesus. They, they actually, they look like him because I saw Jesus do this thing and now they're doing this thing. I heard Jesus say this and now I'm hearing them say that. Could, could other people around us identify us as disciples of Jesus? Is there, would there be you know, enough people to kind of testify about what was going on that, that, that not only had we heard about this Jesus guy who had done these miraculous things, but, but that we're going out into the world and, and, and because of the lives that we lead and the way that we live our lives, the world around us is being transformed. People around us are being transformed. Places around us are being transformed. Could others identify us as a disciple? And not so much by our words saying that we are disciples, because that's one of the four things that the disciples were given to do. The other four things were actions. One of them was to proclaim the kingdom of God. The others were actions to drive out demons, cure diseases, and heal the sick. So we talk a lot about identity. Our identity in Christ and how that's something that that we receive, not achieve. That we don't work to earn our identity in Christ, but that God gives it to us through Jesus Christ. That, that now God sees us through his son and that he sees us through the righteousness of his son. But identity is not just something that is for you to feel good about yourself, right? Identity becomes who you are. Like if I am identified as in Christ, if I am identified as, as being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus Christ, then that's not just my identity for my internal personal life, but that's my identity for all the people around me, right? 
That, that should be my identity. And I think that this is something that our world actually understands, is that, that we identify as such and such. And we don't want to, our world, even though there are some very misled identities out there, we don't want to in our world just identify as a private this or that. But when the cost is high, when, when we might be at risk of being rejected and having to be pushed out of a community because they didn't receive us, will we still identify as a disciple? Will we still take the identity of Christ with us? This is an important lesson for us as we head into next Sunday's sermon because it's going to become a major thrust of what Jesus is talking about next week. It's clear from the way the disciples went out on mission and they did this first mission, this first exercise where Jesus sent them out, that, that they actually were identified as disciples of Jesus Christ because Herod had heard about it and heard all that was going on. So, so they carried on this identity of Jesus. How about us? Are we, are we carrying on this identity in a way that others could identify us as disciples? For just a couple of minutes, imagine with me, if you will, Imagine with me your life. Imagine with me the spheres of influence that, that you have. Kind of maybe work your way through your week or even your month and all the monthly different activities that you do, all different places where you are, all the different areas of influence, spheres of influence that God has put you in, the circles of family, the circles of neighborhood, the circles of coworker, the circles of, of extra activities and, and, and all the different spheres of influence, even the spheres of influence of community as you go to the store and you build relationships with the people at the store or the coffee shop or wherever it is you go. Imagine with me, if you will, those spheres of influence that God has put you in as, as maybe a village. And like these villages where Jesus sent the disciples and he sent the disciples with power and authority to go and represent him, can, can you imagine all of these different spheres of influence that God has in your life, the, the areas, the circles, the relationships, the, the friendships that you have, can, can you see those as villages that, that Jesus is sending you into and he's sending you into them not to hide your light like we talked about several weeks ago, but to go and represent his kingdom. Can you see the, the circle and the sphere of influence of your friends and, and representing Jesus and being the identity of Jesus, the presence and the power of Jesus and that circle and, and the same thing in your workplace and the same thing in your neighborhood and the same thing in your extra activities that you're doing. Can you see yourself representing Christ, being identified as a disciple of Christ in every single one of those? Can you see yourself bringing transformation into each of these areas of influence? Can you see yourself talking about how God has transformed you and, and, and living a transformed life? And, and, and when these spheres of influence pressure us to do things that aren't in keeping with the kingdom, to say, to be able to not 
participate in things that we weren't designed for. Can, can you imagine yourself doing those things? And, and then can you imagine what would happen if, if we all, all of us here at Six Day Church, we actually just started going out and living our lives with power and authority of Jesus Christ and the power that's put in us through the Holy Spirit to go out and live our lives in such a way that, that, that all of these places were touched with the presence and power of Jesus Christ. And, and if every single person that called Six Day Church home would go out and do this, every single week and, and just be the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in this village and in this village and in this village and this village, just everywhere we go to every time we are interacting with people that aren't believers to be the presence and power of Jesus Christ in all situations, in all circumstances. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, Talking about how, you know, some real practical ways are, you know, Micah 6.8, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And, and you know, our tendency is to, to not be humble, but to be self-centered and focused on and self-absorbed. And especially, I think that's pretty standard practice in, in the world around us. And, and to be somebody that's walking humbly, walking humbly with God and others focused and, and pays attention to other people and doesn't make everything in the situation about yourself but actually actually cares about the person that you're talking to, that's a, a huge way to be a witness and testimony. Well, yeah, it showed their, their trust and faith that God would provide, you know, that, that they could go in a place and not bring anything, but that God would provide all their needs, you know, just their... Right. Yeah, they're not going in to try to sell vacuums and stuff like that, right? They're anything else? How we could how we could practically do this in our our day to day lives today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, kindness. I mean, so compassion, kindness, mercy, mercy, compassion, kindness—all the same word. So we're supposed to be the kind of people that love mercy, that we actually love being kind. We love being compassionate. We love being merciful. We love walking with people in their pain. We love doing acts of kindness. Just because we've been so changed, we want to be radically kind to the people around us. To bring the last six, eight into it, you know, do justice to do what's right in all situations, to stand up for people. There might be situations in our life and in, in, in the week ahead where people need, a, need someone to be their advocate, need someone to stand in the gap for them, stand up for them, and we can do that. This is how Jesus lived his life. This, these are the things that Jesus did. He was compassionate. He was just. He, he was motivated by compassion through his whole ministry. Compassion is such a huge major theme of Jesus' ministry that you could you, probably a great study sometime to just go through and read about how Jesus moved with compassion or motivated by compassion did what he did. He, he had compassion on people because he saw them and he knew what they should be. He saw them and knew what they could be. He saw people made in his image and he knew standing there in the image that they were supposed to be looking like and, and the effects of sin and the curse, and he was moved with compassion to see them restored and set free from that. 
What would it look like if we were moved in the same way? Let's stand together and, and pray and close this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the example that we see of your, your disciples that you sent out this first time going out and just going and doing what you said to do and, and, and trusting you with the results. I pray, Father, that, that as we turn our focus, as you turned your focus towards Jerusalem, as we turn our focus towards the week ahead, that you would, that you would set our eyes on you and, and your light and your representation in our world. Father, send us out that, that we may be able to identify you to people, that, that, that people might see you in us, that, that we would not only say we're followers of Jesus Christ, but by the lives we live, the lives we lead, people would say there is something different about this person. They are really, they're different, they're changing. I see them changing in front of my eyes. They're constantly becoming different. And what is that? What is driving that? They're, they're, they're peaceful people. They're joyful people. They're, they're loving people. They're compassionate people. Father, I pray that you would send us out of here fresh and full with power of the Holy Spirit to go and to do what you sent your disciples to do so many years ago. And Father, we do ask that you use us to do it and stir up a lot of, a lot of things in our community. We ask that, that people would not be talking about us, but that people would be talking about you. That people would talk about, about Jesus and that they would see that, you know, there's this person and they talk about Jesus, they live like Jesus, they act like Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And that you would use us not only in our church, but, but in, in our relationships with other believers as we interact with other believers from other churches and as we work alongside other believers and as we have fellowship with other believers and as, as we are in neighborhoods and networks with other believers, that, that as, as, you, as you stir us up to be transformed and changed, that you would also use us to stir up transformation and life change and other believers that, that more and more people that are being touched by, by your disciples here at 6A Church would just be stirred by transformation. We pray reciprocity. We pray, Father, that as you transform them, as you work in the ministry of other pastors and the ministry of other churches around town, that you would also stir transformation in us and that you would just continue to sharpen and develop your disciples and your kingdom here in Vancouver. And Father, use all of us together as, as your kingdom advocates, as your kingdom delegates, to go and to make a difference and to shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ in a world that is dark and desperate for hope. Send us out with the hope they need. In Jesus' name, amen. As they sing, let's come forward and get the elements for communion. We'll take them together after this song. God is in the business of transforming us into the likeness of his son. The only way to really do that is to die to who we think we are. To give up our rights to ourselves and receive an identity that can only be given to us. We we'll talk a lot about that next week. But if we 
are being made into the image and likeness of his son and who we are is love we we are love that should be how we are known love we should be known as gracious we should be known as kind That's who we are. That's who I am. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it, passed it to his disciples and said, as often as you eat of this, eat in remembrance of me. And he took the cup of wine, making a new covenant with us, a new way for us to have relationship with the Father, paid for with his flesh and blood, and he gave us the cup and said, as often as you drink, take drink in remembrance of me. Thank you, Father. For being so good. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the sounds of screaming children and the joy that's coming from the nursery and the kids' room. Thank you for the life in this church. Thank you for the new life springing up in this church. Thank you for the new lives that are on their way in this church, and we thank you for the new life that you're giving to us as your body on a week-by-week basis. Thank you, Father, for all the good things that you have done. You have blessed us beyond measure. You have given us so much goodness that we, if we were to stop and actually take an account of all that you have done for us, we would be overwhelmed with your goodness that you've poured out in our lives. Thank you for your blessing upon blessing, the blessings we have received, one blessing upon another, not blessings and curses, but just all blessings coming down from the Father of lights who gives to his children without holding back. We thank you for all that you've given to us. Father, we want to live out of the blessing, out of the overflow, out of all the goodness that you've poured into our lives. We want to give out of that as your children, as your followers. So we give our tithes and our offerings out of the overflow, out of all that you've blessed us with. And then in a few minutes as we walk out of this building, we're going to give our lives. We give our lives as a sacrifice to you to lay down our lives and out of the overflow of the sacrifice of what you bring back to life, you will pour out life upon life upon life upon life, grace upon grace, truth upon truth, hope upon hope, peace upon peace, and the lives of the people that you pour out of our lives and into their lives. We just believe that you are working in transformative ways through us now and in the weeks to come in Jesus' name. Amen.